All right, we're ready to get started here. It is 11.45, if I see the clock right. We're ready to rock and roll. Oh. All right. All right, looks like everybody's here. I did get a couple texts. <clears throat> Are we ready to rock and roll? Thumbs up. Give me a thumbs up. Who's ready to roll? All right, let's go. All right, so we had one <clears throat> that was uh, left over from last evening that um, was a, a really good one that, hey, they're all good. I'm not trying to judge here. Um, <laughs> but uh, we talked about it here, so I wanna, I'm going to give it to you. Um, so, again, this is dialing clock back a little bit, but it says, have you gotten to the place where you trust God with your children? If so, how did you get to that place? It's a good question, right? I'm going to pass the microphone. Okay, this is really tough. Um, like I said, we have three children, and our middle daughter, um, when she was seven months old, um, got sick on a Friday, Friday afternoon. You know, every kid gets sick on Friday afternoon, and you think, okay, what do I do? I was able to get her into the doctor, and he said, oh, I think she's just got a touch of the flu. Give her fluids, blah, 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 Tylenol, blah, 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 for the weekend. So I, um, that happened, and so the next day she got worse. Called him, can't get her temperature down, we'll do this. And the next day, I can't, she won't, she won't drink, um, so um, anyway, just got worse and worse. And so she didn't sleep, I didn't sleep for that whole weekend. Of, um, and uh, on Monday, I said, it's just me. It's just got to be me. And so I, I didn't do anything, just kept on doing what he had told me to do. And a friend came over, by God's grace, and um, she said, what's going on? And I said, well, she's sick, and I've called the doctor every day, and he just keeps telling me to do this and this and this. And I said, okay. So um, she said, we're taking her to the doctor right now. She said, there's something wrong, really wrong. And so we took her to the doctor, and um, the doctor's comment was, you've called me every day, right? And I said, yeah. You've, and he said, and I just thought you were a young mother and wasn't paying much attention to you. And he looked at me and said, I think she has spinal meningitis, seven months old. And I just fell to pieces. And um, so we put her in the hospital. Uh, long story short, she was on the verge of not making it for um, twice. And... Um, that night, the first night that she was in, the doctor told me, he said, you have not had sleep, you have to go home. I went, she's, she's my baby, I can't go home. And um, so I, um, he said, no, you're, you cannot stay here. So I went home, and little beknownst to him, the Lord and I spent the night 
wrestling with, you can't do this, Lord. This is my baby. And, and um, about 3 in the morning, I just you know, said, okay, Lord, I get it. She's not mine. She's yours. You gave her for seven months. If that's all I have her for, then there's a reason. And, um, and I said, it's going to hurt, but this is, this is what you need to do. And, and I'm, will, I'm willing to trust you for whatever. And instant peace, but um, it was not over. It took a week for her to get over it, but um, God showed me at that point that our kids are not our own. He's given it, given them to us on loan. And our reason for them being here is for us to point them to them, to him, and to just to um, parent them in spite of the fear, uh, total fear, and um, just trust them to him, entrust them to him. Can't top that. I want to get it. What was the question? Yeah. yeah. When do you entrust your child to the Lord? When? Yeah. And I think it is something, it's a question that comes to mind with every child at some point in time. You have got to release that child to the care of the Lord and acknowledge, like Beth did, wrestling through the night, that uh, every child belongs to God, and they are on loan. And sometimes we get them for our lifetime entirely, and other times he chooses to draw them to himself and take them home before that. Uh trying to remember the date, but uh, almost 20 years ago, um, I got a call at my office from a a mother in absolute. Just overwhelmed. We met her at the emergency department right there on 20th and and 73rd and Greeley or whatever it is. And uh, they diagnosed her daughter with brain cancer. Oh. The next, what, six months, nine months, we walked that family through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord took her home. And uh, I just want to share a verse God gave us during that time from Isaiah 40. If you ever have to face that, may these words sustain your heart. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them that have young. And uh, I used that passage at her funeral and uh, just gut-wrenching to go through that with the family. But uh, God sustained. Uh, God provided 
and uh, God kept them close to his heart. But when you go through a time like that, the only resource you have that matters is the living God. He is all there is. I will add that that whole experience had a, has affected me in the way I've, I've, uh, that we've parented our kids, that they are on loan to us. And our responsibility is to point them in the Lord, help them grow, and to um, just love them as much as we can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Marshall Shelley... Um the editor of Christianity Today, or or Leadership Magazine for a number of years, had two boys. Both of them had birth defects. One of them lived uh, two minutes, and one of them lived about two hours. He wrote a piece in Leadership, and he said, the question was, God, why did you allow my sons only to live that brief, those brief moments of time? And his response was really profound. He said, God didn't make them to live for two minutes and two hours. He made them to live forever. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Here's one um, from the cards that were turned in. It says, uh, my father, who lives with us, is a non-believer, disapproves of the way we discipline, We pray for him and continue to parent biblically. Do you have any practical advice outside of prayer? I'll let you guys cogitate just a little bit on that. But I was was just thinking back to a day ago when I was meeting with uh, the men from our community group and we had one of those. We We had a parenting... Uh, session in terms of uh, how to uh, parent an adult child that kind of dovetails with this just a little bit. So I'll share the perspective. And you'll hear this tomorrow in the sermon, so pardon in advance for the fact that you might hear it twice. But um, the idea was that, you know, as a, as a young man grows to a certain age and, and he gets to the point of, of being his own man and, ex, and, and expressing the need to be his own man, that there's really only, in a home, in a household, there's really only room for one head, right? Two heads, no worky, right? And, um, and so there comes a point when that young man needs to move on, move out, and and establish himself otherwise. And, and so the, the dovetail with this, with this here is, who's the head of the home? And there's no room for two heads. So I guess the only practical advice that I have as, as being the pragmatist that I am is the heart-to-heart conversation with, with the grandfather uh, on, along those lines. Why don't you share the story about the... Uh being in the sh- with, with one of our kids at the grocery store and the lady that came oh, to you. Oh, that's right. You don't want to do that? Yeah. It was, it was, it was great advice. It was great advice. It doesn't have Just much. Just talk about the child. It has, it has, but it has bearings. It doesn't have a lot to do with it. Um, we had been dealing with a very 
um, strong-willed child. And we had been learning how to do that. And um, we were, you know, we were getting to the place where at three, four years old, uh, we could discuss things. And uh, I was at the grocery store and, and the child wanted something and I said no and continued and was just on the verge of having another temper tantrum. And this lady walked up and just ripped uh, my child to pieces, said, you are a horrible child. And, and, just, uh, and I just looked at her and I said, excuse me, you have no right to talk to my child like that, and turned around and took the child away. And the child looked at me and she said, Mom, am I really that horrible? And I said, no, you're not that horrible, but at times the, your temper tantrums get the best of you. you know. And so I love you and we're working through this. And when I said no, I really meant no. And she said, okay, hi. And we had no temper tantrums after that. And I said to her, when she would get just on, oh, I just did it. When that child would get to that point, uh, uh, when close, I'd say, okay, are we about ready to have a temper tantrum? Yeah, let's talk about it. Well, what's wrong with this? But I don't know what that had to do with the... Oh. <laughs> because you told the lady it was none of her business. Yeah. Oh, and that's okay. the heart-to-heart -heart that you may have to have to say, you know what, this child is our responsibility. You're the grandparent, but it's, it's our responsibility, and uh, we're going to raise them the way that we see fit. All right, it's good. Go ahead, Chris. Um, one of the things, I don't know how relevant this is, but, um, you know, uh, God's design is that uh, we would leave our father and mother and go cleave to our wife. And, and one, of the, one of the ways we leave our parents is uh, leave their mantle of authority um, and we leave their, the way they disciplined us. We leave, um, not, not completely like disregarding their advice, of course, but um, the mantle of responsibility of our kids is on us. And so um, it's really hard, but um, as much as grandparents want to be involved and have opinions, um, I'm sure there's different ways we want to raise our kids. And um, it's really hard. And we have to let go of um, those expectations our parents might have on us, respect them, honor them. And, um, but we must leave them. And um, as hard as that is. And um, it might be a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. They might get hurt. Um, but, uh, but we have a mandate to raise our kids the way we, the, the Holy Spirit's leading us and not the way our Holy Spirit's leading our grandparents or their, their grandparents. So um, that's just, just one thought, just one way we can leave, um, not just physically leave our parents, but also emotionally, mm -hmm. um, which is hard. Yeah. It's a good word. All right. Next one <clears throat> is... What does an appropriate appeal process look like? Well, with our kids, you know, we wanted first-time obedience, right? So you're not a threatening, repeating parent. So that always looked like um, obey right away, obey, obey without complaining, and obey completely, um, yeah, right away. 
without delay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we did give them the opportunity to say, to ask a question. You know, most kids don't know, at least when they're really little, what does an appeal, you know, they could say, can I make an appeal? Uh, which was the <laughs> formal way, you know, that this book, but anyway, we, we allowed them to ask a question. And so they'd say, mommy, can I ask a question? And then I had the opportunity to say, yeah, you know, what did you want to ask about that? Or, no, you need to obey right away. So that's what it looked like in our house. So what would, what, if they, would they make an appeal and what would you do? I mean, oh. you know. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's always good to let them ask questions, right, about it. And they could say, well, can I do that later? Or, and you just talk through it with them. Well, I'm just wondering, did she ever, like, give in? Did they make an appeal and, and you, like, <laughs> says, oh, that's a good point. I didn't yeah. consider that. And yeah. Yes. We did that. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't know. Yeah, I just I went. asked the question because you did that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you doing that. <laughs> and sometimes it was like, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't factor that in. Yeah. Thank you for raising that. Hmm. Yeah. As, a, as a righteous judge, I think I can, I can change the verdict here. You know, you can do that, right? Anybody right. else? Right. John, the trip book has four steps for uh, an appeal. Uh, and I can't. I can only remember three of them. Uh, best, best. And maybe Dan can. But uh, one of them is that they must make the appeal with respect. But the second one is to be ready to obey and accept whatever decision is made by the parent. And and then um, lastly, to uh, just uh, be ready to obey no matter what. Just uh, understand that maybe the appeal will be granted. Maybe it won't. But be ready to obey. So, Dan, did you? Uh, you're back. I see. Do you have anything to add to it? <laughs> the appeal process, the, the, the appeal process you give your kids before you maybe bring discipline. You, you mentioned it in your first sermon. Yeah. Um, yeah, the appeal process is, is uh, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what has been said, but it's something we used a ton, and um, we too um, demanded first-time obedience, actually, uh, when, because um, remember, I'm the authoritarian, she's the one that's available, um, is that when I asked them to do something, Nancy did, especially when Nancy did, I would demand first-time obedience, but we always gave them an opportunity to appeal, um, but they had to do it with respect. If they're like whining, like, why do I have to do this? Why, Dad? Because then I'll say, because I said so. But that's the only time I would say, because I said so. If they, appeal means that you've, they've got information, new information that you have yet to consider. It's like the appeal in a court. So, so I'm trusting that um, I'm not um, omniscient. I don't know everything um, as a parent. Uh, I acted like I did with my kids when they were younger. Uh, but I wanted to just give them an opportunity to appeal. They, um, first time obedience, yes. But they're, they're not little robots. They're human beings. And um, let them appeal to you. And consider the evidence. And um, let them off the hook periodically. I did that a few times with spankings, actually. Even though I enjoyed spankings. I, I gave with them off. If you look at uh, Scripture and how, you know, especially Moses and Abraham, um, when, when uh, the, the uh, Israelites, you know, just had been given the law and then they would just immediately disobey and God would say, okay, um, Moses and Aaron, you guys, you remove yourselves from these people because I'm about ready to take them out. And Moses would say, uh, God, 
um, and he'd always do it with respect. And the way he would do it is we'd call upon who God was, his character. And he would say, God, far be it from you to do this thing because you're righteous, because you are holy, because you're merciful and compassionate and slow to anger, rich in love. And so if you do this thing, your reputation will be um, taken out. And so um, just if, if I, th I think it's a way to inform how um, we want to teach our kids to show respect um, is that um, uh, the way the way you know show show them scripture how Moses how Abraham would seemingly um, call God to change his mind um, but God you know obviously knew what he was doing ahead of time but um, they would call in his character um, they would call uh, and respect him that way um, yeah because it didn't make sense and uh, always being willing to like um, my kids would say stuff like that to me and I'd, I'd go um, you're right that that is that is messed up what I just said I didn't I didn't consider what you just said so being ready to yeah. Awesome. All right, I'm going to move on to the next one. It says, uh, <clears throat> how do you grant freedoms and privileges that are, underlined earned or hold them accountable for non-performance without being a performance-based parent? What is the balance between grace and requiring obedience? How do you find that line? Part of it, I, I think, based on uh, the first message this morning is to try to explore as best you can with them why they're refusing to do it. Uh, understand their heart. I think that's always the key. Can you understand what they're thinking, why they're acting, uh, and, and it's all a hard issue. Uh, maybe they don't think it's an assignment worth doing, or maybe they're just lazy. And once you can get to the core of it, I, I think then you can deal with it in an appropriate way biblically, uh, and if I'm answering the question right. But just the idea of, of bringing them to understand that their thought life, their, their behavior at this point is sinful to God, and it's sinful to, toward you as their parent. And uh, we, we pray for brokenness at that point, that the, the, the child would know as you bring them up and, and help them understand these things, more and more would understand that sin grieves the heart of God. We do a, a practice with some of our disciples when, when they're able to identify their sin uh, toward their spouse or toward a sibling or whatever, we ask them to, to make a list of four things about that sin. The first sin is, or the first thing on the list is, how did my sin impact uh, my spouse or my my kid? Uh, secondly, how, how did my sin impact my heart? Uh, and if it's a family issue and parents, how, how did my sin impact our children? I mean, if I'm fighting all the time with my wife, what is the impact of that in our home, to the hearts and lives of our kids? I need to understand that about my sin. And then lastly, what impact does my sin have on God? It grieves his heart. And, and I think just understanding, trying to understand, sin is awful. It cost the death of the creator of the universe. And, and we, need to, we need to live that and believe that and, and reiterate that again and again to our kids. Uh, and it, it breaks God's heart. And I want to take a little different tact. In, in this case, it's not dealing with a sin issue, but how do you release your children uh, to become responsible adults? And uh, the chart that didn't come up well, you know, is the, it's a square with a diagonal through it. And when they're born, we have absolutely 100% uh, responsibility. And as they grow older, by the time they're 18, they have 100% responsibility. When my oldest daughter had uh, knee surgery uh, in high school, 
they were thinking about using the cadaver's uh, uh, ligament for her knee. And I said, absolutely not, because, you know, there's AIDS out there and so on. The doctor said, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to her. And I said, well, I'm paying the bill. And says, yeah, and she's 18. <laughs> so it was her choice. And she chose to use her own body parts, and I was glad. But as they get older, uh, for example, we would say to our children, uh, what time should you be home? And we would, have, we'd have a time in mind. And they always gave a time that was earlier than we had. And, and they, and, but if they didn't get there, they got in trouble. Uh, my, my oldest daughter one time was out with uh, one of her friends, a Christian friend, a wonderful young lady. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning. We had no idea where she was. So uh, when she came home, where were you? Well, I was with Jennifer. I said, well, yeah, it would have been nice if you'd let us know that. So uh, she, her responsibility at that point was she had to go out and pull weeds in the front yard, fill a five-gallon bucket. And it was springtime, and the weeds were only about this big. And she still says that was not fair. She appealed. We, we denied. <laughs> and she's got a 12-year-old, so one of these days, you know. But again, we gave them responsibility with accountability. And if they met the responsibility, no questions asked. But if they didn't, then there were consequences that would follow. And uh, it brings freedom to a family. It's not like we're sitting there making every decision for them and that's our, that's our design, that's how we want to function. But we have to give them that ability because when they're 18 and they go off to college or they go off into the service or whatever they do, guess what? They're going to have to make their own decisions. And, and, and we have friends. Uh, one of them we just had a conversation with. She has a son who is, uh, significantly, has significant rank in the Army. And she still corrects his papers so that he can get through the war college. Crippled for life. And we don't want to cripple our children. We want to set them free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so give them responsibility. If they fail, then consequences follow. Uh, but if they succeed, you rejoice and you give them more rope until they're ready to stand on their own. That's a good word. Anything else down the chain there? I was going to try to address the, the wording of, of this. And uh, it says, uh, grant, how do you grant freedoms and privileges that are earned or hold them accountable for non-performance without being a performance-based parent? It's a really good question. And I'm going to kind of pick on the word earned for just a second, just to kind of differentiate that from demonstrated. Um, because we demonstrate responsibility, right? And so when you see a, a certain level of responsibility demonstrated, then you know, I like the funnel. Well, you're going to hear the funnel thing tomorrow too because the funnel is really an important dimension of parenting, right? The, it starts out very limited and restricted in, in the funnel. The responsibilities and the freedoms, they, they correspondingly grow as the child matures. And, and, and you kind of move forward and kind of in lockstep with your child as your child matures. And, and so I really don't see this as performance-based because I wouldn't grant the child the next level of, of, of responsibility and freedom because they earned it. I would, I would, I would do it because they demonstrated the, the ability to do that. So, yeah, yeah, you don't get credits like that. But, but there are, you know, there is, you do earn, you, you know, you earn a wage for a job done, right? That's a little bit different, uh, different uh, topic altogether, right? 
Does that, and, I, and I'm hoping that that helps, and if it spurred anything on, yeah, you could talk to us afterwards, or I'm sure Chris has more to say on it, that uh, just jump, grab him afterwards. <laughs> All right, next one. What do you do with a child who habitually lies? What is an appropriate, appropriate consequence, and how do you restore trust? I I address the issue of truth because I think in our culture it I would I know the word of God lists obey and and respect, but in our culture and time with with the advent of uh, of relativism and, and a rejection of absolute truth I, I would bump truth to that close. And I would punish it about as strongly as I would those two others because if, if we do not ingrain into our children's lives that the word of God is absolute truth, it's absolute trustworthy, and part of this is we gotta believe it, we gotta live it. We're gonna talk about that in the next section, session, but the reality is they have to know truth. I, I didn't say this in, in, my, uh, in, in my presentation, but I wanna say it now. I hate the word story when we talk about biblical events, biblical accounts, uh, our world believes stories are mythological fables. When we talk about the Word of God as a story, we are confusing the minds of our children. What we have in the Bible are accounts of the divine revelation of the living God. It's non-negotiable. It's absolute truth. You can take it to the bank. And if we need to live and model that conviction before our children. So um, I... I slip occasionally and I say story, but please consider the use of that word in relationship to the scriptures. They are the account of the redemptive acts of the living God. When you're dealing with a child who habitually lies, I think it's important uh, to approach them and challenge them with that and let them know that they won't be punished if they speak the truth. They, if they change their mind and speak the truth, then they have to know that that's the way that glorifies God and, and they won't be punished if they change their mind and speak the truth. Uh, one of the precepts that we did in our family was, you know what, I don't care what you did, but you tell me the truth and we'll deal with the whatever you're lying about later. Mm -hmm. But truth was a huge um, concept in our family. Just tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. We'll deal with it. And our son said, you just well tell the truth because mom knows everything anyway. <laughs> no, go for it. No, no, no. Far be it from me. Um, you know, we started out with them real little um, telling them that, you know, one one lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie, and then pretty soon you've got all these lies that you're trying to cover up, and, and you don't even know who knows what, and how it, and it just gets harder and harder and harder, and you don't want to live under that. So that was one thing that we would reinforce. But then also that it just it creates um, bad feelings and, and bad relationship between us and you, and we don't want that. We want to have a good relationship, and then in turn that shows them that, you know, when you're living lies and sin, it, you know, it, it 
it taints or hurts your relationship with the Lord, right? You're not as close to the Lord, and you're not, well, you're not walking as close, and you have sin they need to confess, and yeah. It's very good. I, I liked, uh, and I'm not showing any favoritism here, um, <clears throat> I really like what Jolene said, because children need to, need to know that it's safe to tell the truth, that when they come to you and tell the truth, that you don't attack them, because what they had to say wasn't to your liking, right? <clears throat> and I've, I've noticed this in, in our family, that our children, uh, it was, and I have to tell you, it was shock and awe to me that my kids would lie to me. It was. I hope you guys are smarter than that. I wasn't that smart. I actually thought I trained them well enough to, that they wouldn't do that. They all have lied to me. Can you believe that? But you know what? I've noticed lately, like, like I'll even call out a name here, Peter. He's 17. And, uh, and, and I think he's covered some things up uh, through, through his life, and we found out. And, but, but we've made it safe for him to tell the truth. And I was really blessed the other day, something really bad. He did something really bad. And he came to me. Boom, spot on, and he told me the truth. Like a man, he stood up, and he, said, and he gave me the truth, and I so respected that. And, it was, and he could do that because we had demonstrated the fact that he wasn't going to get killed because he told me something that I didn't want to hear. And he told me that, and the only thing I could respond with was, man, son, I love you. <laughs> you know what? That doesn't even matter. What matters is, you just demonstrated a really beautiful thing. So to, it, it's a cultural thing, right? They have to, you have to promote, and you have to not kill them when they, when they tell you the truth. We've got a bunch more questions here, and I don't know that we have time, and Chris is wanting to... Can I just say something real yeah. quick there? So if they're a habitual liar, um, I think it's, it's, it's important to ask why. Um, I was a habitual liar when I was a kid. Like I just, I just always lied, and I just look back at my life, and I... The reason why is because I didn't think um, who I was, who I really was, was adequate. So I had to embellish who I was. And so kind of piggybacking on what John said, um, do you communicate to your child that they are good? Um, not, or you, you're pleased with who they are without them having to um, embellish it? Do they, do they have a safe um, place and identity in your in your household. So it's all if they're habitual. I mean, every kid's going to lie, but if it's a habitual thing, there's a heart issue there where you must seek. Is it is it because they're terrified of me, or is it because I've given them the idea that they're not good enough on their own, so they must um, excel in areas where I, I'm going to be more pleased if they excel? So that's it. All right, I know we're over. Am I going to? Should I cut it off? You're the leader, man. All right. All right. I'm so sorry um, that uh, there are a couple here that I didn't get to, and I'm, I apologize for that, uh, this time, time constraint. So um, we're going to break now for, is it, is it lunch? And uh, so thank you all for being patient. And, and uh, please feel free to take your questions directly to, to any one of us uh, through the remainder of the day. Okay? Thank you. Go eat. What's that? Oh, yeah, let's pray. All right. <clears throat> Lord God in heaven above, I thank you so much for your kindness upon us. I thank you, God, for every soul here, every delightful human being, God, here that you have put in, given such a charge or responsibility to be parents and that they would see, be, have such open hearts seeking to understand how they might be able to usher their children from faith to faith, from through this life, and, and usher them into ultimately adulthood and in a beautiful adulthood where, where they live the gospel and they live as, by heavenly wisdom. 
So God, I pray your kind hand upon every family here that's represented, upon every uh, father, upon every mother. Pray, pray that you'd uh, look sweetly and and deliver good and kind and beautiful things from heaven above upon these families for their for their diligence, their hearts to pursue you. And so, God, we just uh, give this time over to you, the remainder of the time, and pray that you'd continue to enliven our hearts to your wisdom. And, uh, God, thank you so much for the food that uh, you have seen fit to provide for the sustenance of our bodies. I pray, God, uh, that we'd enjoy this in sweet fellowship in front of you. In your precious name, amen.